And what we're going to look at in the scriptures today is that no matter what it is, he is all-powerful and he is all-sufficient. The preeminence and sufficiency of Christ. So lest you think that we're going to have this dry theological discourse <laughs> on... Uh, these things, actually, it's not dry at all. But when you throw words out like preeminence and sufficiency, sometimes people's eyes glaze over. <laughs> but it's real. It's true. And if we will allow it, it will change our lives. It's not just a head exercise that we're about to go through here. I'd like to talk with us about this passage in Colossians. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn to it, even if it's on your phone. Uh, there's also Pew Bibles. Just because it's good to be able to refer to things and read the word for yourself. So Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. Colossians is to the right of the Gospels and the New Testament. Just keep flipping, you'll find it. <clears throat> Page 1834 in Skip's Bible. Okay. <laughs> so if you're carrying these burdens today, if you're struggling with things, today is exactly the message that the Lord has for you about the preeminence and all sufficiency of Christ. Um, this piece in here that we're going to look at is thought by some to actually be an early Christian hymn. And um, it lays out line by line who Jesus is, how long Jesus has been, <laughs> what he does, and what he is doing. It's very powerful, and we're going to take a look at it together. All of these things that it says about Jesus have direct bearing on our lives, on those things that we dread, on those things that are a thorn to us, on those things that drag us down and exhaust us. This can be spiritual food and water to our souls if we will allow it. So verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Think about that for a moment. That kind of blows right past us, but God is so holy that he told Moses, all you can see is my backside because you can't see my face and live. Right? If we want to see God, we see Jesus. We look at Jesus. He is the image, the icon, the image of the invisible God. Our starting point for understanding who Jesus is goes back before creation. Jesus is not the product that happens at Advent <laughs> or that shows up in the manger. For the first time. 
He was there at the very beginning of creation. He was before, right? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say that not one thing came into being without him, and without him not one thing was made. Christ creating at the beginning. This is the same Jesus that we see on the Christmas cards, right? In the manger. Or the, the Jesus that our modern church has kind of helped us to kind of go, me and Jesus, my buddy. <laughs> and we've lost the sense of the holiness of Christ, the preeminence and the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Yes, he is our brother. And yes, we are joint heirs with Christ. But it's because of who Jesus is and what he did and does that we have that. He is the exact image of God. If we go further down in the passage in verse 19, it says, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So right from the very beginning of this letter, what is being said to us is that Jesus is God. He is not some subordinate or a lesser form of God. He is saying that, Paul is saying that this is the root and the foundation of the supremacy of Almighty God, of Christ, that he is God. He is not some created whatever. So what about that next line, the firstborn of all creation? Does that mean, you know, he's higher than the deer and the bears and the trees and the rocks? Well, yeah, but he's not of that substance, right? This is not saying that Jesus was created. It's saying that Jesus is over all and above all and in all and through all. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is above it all. You know, there was a, a particularly famous heresy that um, said that Jesus was, albeit the highest order of creation, still created and not of the same substance of God the Father. This was the Arian heresy. And there are lots of other you know, aspects to it, but that's kind of the main idea. And you can think about just some of the smaller implications of this would include that if Jesus is created, he's not God. He's part of the created order. And if God did not live a perfect life in his perfection and die for our sin, then... Where is the sufficiency of that sacrifice and atonement for our sin? It's not. It's out the window, right? Um, <clears throat> and this was a very serious discussion back in the 4th century. Uh, St. Nicholas, whom you might know as uh, sort of St. Nick, and uh, it's been twisted into uh, some other understandings of things over the years, but St. Nicholas was actually a beautiful defender of the faith and... Um, they were having a big meeting, 4th Century Council of um, Nicaea, and they were trying to deal with this heresy that Arius was bringing. And St. Nicholas got so upset that some historians say that he actually went up and slapped Arius, and they had to carry these two guys out because they had this, you know, like priest versus bishop brawl going on. But... Oh, that we would be so upset about defending the 
faith and the essential tenets of Scripture and what we have been handed uh, by those that have gone before us. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is the preeminence of Christ. And then he goes on, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you've ever studied the forces that exist inside an atom, there's no reason that these atoms should hold together. <laughs> what we know about these, there are opposing forces that should cause them to fly apart, and we're not really sure why they hold together. Interesting. <clears throat> in him all things hold together. Everything in creation has its beginning, its middle, and its end in Christ. <clears throat> all things were made through him. All things are held together by him. And everything has its ultimate purpose in Christ. God is infinitely good, and he is perfectly holy. Think about everything in creation that you, you might experience wonder and awe about. For me, it's sunrises and sunsets. You know, um, part of my relaxation and pastime is spent 20 feet up in a tree, and I'm usually in there before it gets light. And I get to watch these beautiful sunrises and just sit up there and talk to the Lord in the dark, watching dawn crack over the eastern horizon and think about the promise of the day and, and how the day exists because God has willed it and allowed it to be. Jesus is so much more supreme and preeminent than these things. The mountains, the depths of the ocean, the colors in the fall, you name it. Whatever comes into your mind that's beautiful, that the Lord created, Christ is so much more supreme and preeminent than that. How about the battles that wage around us, right? There's spiritual battles that happen all the time around us. There's battles in our families, battles in our relationships. Um, there's sin that holds on. There are addictions. There are traumas. There are deep hurts. And what Paul is saying is that Christ is greater than all of that. Those things that keep you up at 2 o'clock in the morning and those thoughts swell to be so big that you can't think about anything else and then you have a panic attack. Christ is bigger than all of that. How about all the situations in the world today, right? We've got some wars happening we have economic challenges. We've got governments doing wild things. We think about the battle between freedom and tyranny. We think about suffering. We think about hunger. You know, what Paul is saying is that in creation, Christ is greater than all of these things. And ultimately, all of these things will serve to proclaim and further God's glory in Christ. 
Christ. I had a conversation with a, a gentleman a few weeks ago, and he said to me, you know, you're kind of an easy, easy pastor to talk to. He's like, would it offend you if I told you that I was spiritual but not religious? <laughs> and I was like, well, that's good because Jesus wasn't religious either. Uh, <laughs> but there is truth in Scripture. But we get that a lot, right? People have an openness and an awareness that they are, in fact, spiritual beings as well as physical beings. And then from there, they kind of make up their own thing. They go and they do that. They take a little from this that they like, a little from this that they like. They definitely don't take that part that they don't like. And they make this mishmash melting pot of a spirituality and then try to live out a good life in that. They form their own sort of do-it-yourself way to get to heaven or to God or whatever they believe the higher power is or the next plane of existence and that sort of thing. They call it good. And Paul is actually addressing this in this passage in Colossians. Uh, this is not a new thing that we're experiencing in our culture, this do-it-yourself way of religion and finding spiritual things and putting them all together. You know, it doesn't work. It ultimately leads to death. The problem with it is that it cannot produce holiness. And without holiness, we are lost. It can't comfort us in the way that the Lord would comfort us in his might and in his power. It distracts us from Christ. And, and Paul is using this hymn or this poem that's in this um, to point people back to the fact that Christ is preeminent. Christ is supreme. Here is the plan. This is the way that God has made. Now walk in it. Don't drag a mishmash of the culture into, into your melting pot of beliefs. Look at what the Lord has done. If Christ is preeminent and Christ is sufficient, then we do not need to make our own way. And in fact, we shouldn't dare to make our own way. If God has made the way and then we try to make our own, what are we saying about ourselves? We've just replaced God and put you-know-who on the throne of our own lives. Christ is the only path through sin. He is the only path through evil and through death to life and resurrection. There is no other way. Holiness is serious business. And if we are not washed by the blood and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we will be eternally lost. There is no detour to that. Look at verse 20, though. And here, here's the beautiful good news. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, 
whether on earth or in heaven, making peace through the blood of his cross. There it is. There's the hope. There's the path. There is the way. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Look what God has done. Preeminent. All sufficient. We don't need to add anything to it. We don't need to make anything up or reinterpret it. And we certainly don't need to take away anything from it. Especially the parts that make us uncomfortable because those are the parts that the Holy Spirit probably really wants to do work in our hearts about. And this brings us to the stock tank in front today. (laughs) Baptism. The need for reconciliation, the bringing into alignment of our souls and our bodies with the plan and purpose of Christ is found only in Him. Not dead spirituality of our own making, but stepping into the flow of God's redemptive work found only in Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. Of actually surrendering our own way to the way of the Lord in our lives. I love that uh, second verse in Love Divine, All Love is Excelling. Take away my love of sinning, Alpha and Omega B. The beginning and the end. Be that in my life. Be all sufficient. When we come and we are baptized, we are professing our faith in Jesus Christ and we are repenting of our sin. We are turning, doing a 180 and walking away from it. Not to look back again. Christ is preeminent. He is sufficient. He is the beginning. He is the middle. He is the end of all things. He holds it all together. Whether it be a massive black hole millions of light years away. Or the tatters of our wounded hearts. He can and does hold it all. So I want to ask you a similar question to what I asked you at the beginning. What are you carrying that seems bigger than the preeminence and sufficiency of Jesus Christ? Here is the place and now is the time to lay that down. Are you ready to trust your soul And your life to Jesus. Are you ready to stop following your own path? To repent of your sin? To receive the gift of salvation found through God in Christ Jesus? And like that thief on the cross say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And hear the promise of the Lord. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Maybe you're doubting your faith. Maybe you followed the Lord when you were a child, and now life and life circumstances and the the hurts and habits and hang-ups of the world have pulled you in a different direction. 
But the Lord is speaking to you now. Now is the time, and here is the place. You are amongst friends. You are amongst the family of the Lord. Maybe you've been wandering. Maybe you are in need of healing. Maybe you're struggling with loneliness or brokenness. Or you've been carrying burdens that are hard to bear. But now is the time. And here is the place to lay those down. And receive salvation, healing, peace, and freedom from the Lord. So I'd like to offer you a time and a moment now if you would like to receive prayer for or about any of these things. And we'll just take a few minutes, okay? And um, if, uh, Bob, if you would come and just uh, offer a little bit of music and, and um, if Ian and Polly would like to come and, and help pray and, and such. The Spirit of the Lord is here. We'd like you to have the chance to respond to him, either by coming forward for prayer or by responding where you sit as well.